What's up, guys? It's Matt. On this week's edition of the TKW Podcast, I chat with Kyle Maggio and Jeffrey Ballone, a.k.a. Knicks Film School, about the latest happenings around the Knicks over the summer. We talk about some of their workout plans, some of the things they have in the docket for the rest of the summer, and just kind of check in. And then we talk about some of the assistant coaches, what the roster is going to look like moving forward, what the Knicks should do with Kristaps Porzingis, what should the Knicks do in the draft, really just some housekeeping around. And we love Jeff, so we get his takes from the Knicks film school angle. So let's do it. Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined today by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, guys? <laughs> Kyle's muting his mic so that his dogs don't uh, don't ruin all the sound. Kyle, how the doggos doing? Uh, they're surprisingly well-behaved today, but oh I don't want to jinx And uh, we are also joined by special guest, the Knicks wall legend, Knicks Film School, Jeff Ballone. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? Hey guys, how's it going? Good to be back with you guys. Good man. Yeah, when was the last time you were on? It's been a while. I think it was maybe like February, January, February time frame. It's been a, it's so it's been, been a, a while. I gotta say. Um. So latest in Nick's happenings. Been a lot of stuff going on over the summer. I know we've talked on the pod a lot about some prospects. We've had some great guests on for some Trey Young chat, some Mikael Bridges chat. Um, we still have plenty of that coming up, but we figured with Jeff on, we'd kind of hit mostly on some of the things that the Knicks on the roster right now are doing over the summer. So between training, you know, working out, seeing what kind of camps they're running. I know we saw Frank work with Donovan Mitchell. So let's start out, JB. What's the most exciting thing you've seen over the summer from the current Knicks on the roster? Well, I think we've all been excited no. by uh, Frank's workout videos, right? They've been exciting, I gotta say. Um, I, gotta I say. mean, it's funny because it's not like we're really seeing anything there that, you know, I think any person can suggest means that, you know, he's going to break out next season. But it's just anytime you have a young player on your roster and the things you see him doing um, on social media are you know, geared toward improving, you know, it's sort of funny because there's two things we don't know. We don't know which players are actually working hard in off season. And we don't know how, uh, you know, representative what they post on social media is to what they're actually doing. So, you know, if you're, if you're smart and you're a player, you know, you post that you're working out all the time, like Dotson has and like Frank has. Yep. Versus Moutier, right? He he hasn't posted any of that. <laughs> what but about that like, picture of him on his car? That was pretty sweet. Yeah, though. that was it, right? So <laughs> when, for all we know, you know, Moutier is actually working the hardest, but he's not posting anything. So people like me aren't throwing it up on Twitter and, and you know, so everyone can see it. Um, so it is a little bit tough to gauge because, like I said, we 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 just don't know if it is representative of what they're actually doing. But, you know, I think it's just been exciting nonetheless to see. And even here in reports, you know, stories that come out that he's showing up to the training facility every morning at 9 a.m. He's working with Fizdale on his offensive skills. Um, 
you know, I, I think that's been the most exciting. What, what do you guys think? No, you're right, because it is really tricky. Because a lot of times it is, you know, like you're saying, it's the perception. It is them showing us kind of what we want to see. I mean, look at Melo the last six years. I mean, even when he was still in New York, I know the hoodie Melo thing went, you know, really viral this year. But before that, we always saw him working out, hoodie up. Like, it was always the same thing. Every summer he was in somehow leaner and better shape. And this isn't to, like, discount anything. He was always working really hard. But um, then sometimes it doesn't translate to, to on-court, and then people get angry. You know, but it, it's all a, a, a summertime social media perception game. So I, I don't know. I mean, it is nice to see Frank working on the stuff that, um, you know, we were hoping he'd tighten up, like his handles, his jumper. Uh, you know, that workout video you tweeted out, he's, like, coming off the dribble, coming off screens and shooting. So that's all stuff we wanted to see. So – um, to the perception point, it's playing right up. Is this a new thing that the players do with these gloves they wear, or has this been going on forever? Because Frank's got these, like, freaking infinity gauntlets on when he's dribbling with his trainer. Is that a new thing, or have I just been not paying attention? It, well, new so. maybe in terms of them maybe promoting it, but, I mean, I know people have, you know, used those gloves to help yeah, their handle. Dude, but, wild. you know, like anything now, it's like um, – there's gear for everything. So I feel like things that people probably just used in their local gym before now, you know, you throw a brand on it and a, and a player's going to wear it. So it's probably noticed more than, you know, it was before. Yeah. So JB, I want to parlay this discussion into, uh, I know something that, that you've talked about on, on Twitter and when you've been tweeting out videos, how much should we really put into these videos? Because we mentioned the perception that these guys want to give off. And that makes sense, especially the young guys. Dotson, Neil Aquina, Ron Baker, these are the guys that want to give off the idea to both fans and the coaching staff that they're putting in the requisite work over the summer to get better. How much should we care about that as fans? When we see Frank do awesome stuff, it gets us all really excited, and it's funny, we've joked about how those are your most retweeted things. You can tweet something that is a cool moment in Nick's history, something that is just completely different, and it's always the Frank videos that do really well. How much stock do do we put into these, and how much stock do you put into these? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I don't put a ton because I, I just think, you know, being fair players who maybe aren't at, uh, as at using social media to promote um, themselves in the right way. You know, I, I think there's guys that could be working hard behind the scenes and they're just not posting it on Instagram all the time. So, you know, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I, like I said, I think it's cool to see and it gets us excited in the summer when there's nothing going on. Um and to me, it speaks less about the players and more about the fan base, right? I mean, here we are. We're in the middle of June. The Knicks have been terrible forever. This fan base should be dormant and not care. And you have a, a rookie who, what do you, I don't even remember what he averaged. Probably like, what, five and a half, six points last year? I don't think a guy he got didn't, the six. Yeah. Yeah, a guy who didn't score. He, he wasn't flashy. And yet people are going crazy about him doing simple drills in a workout video, I, I think more than anything, these videos speak to the fan base about how hungry they are for anything to suggest hope. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's no, true. It's true. Who's got the best social media of the Knicks, of the players right now? Like, who does the best? Who's posting shit all the time? Ron Baker's social media baffles me. It's hysterical. He'll post a video of him in a sauna. Like, man, this is lit. He's a weirdo. <laughs> I'm on the record as Ron Baker is a big old weirdo. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, I mean, you know, Cantor, obviously, yeah. he probably well, posts. He's a whole different most, story. 
Yeah, he, he's he's a different story in himself. And um, and Kyle, I think Kyle Quinn's pretty good about oh, yeah. it because he he'll is. post himself, you know, doing interesting stuff. And pretty much everything he posts now, he puts savage, savage on it. That's like the, the word of the day right now. But, um, but Kyle you know, Quinn's like be the best. Kyle Quinn's like genuinely interesting, though. Like he put a vacation picture up and it was like one of those multiple uh, picture Instagram posts. And like the first picture was like him on a basketball court on vacation. And then the second one was like him dangling an octopus, like a tiny octopus over his mouth about to eat it. Like his are always just like genuinely like, wow, living his best life. Kyle Quinn, good, happy, go lucky guy. Just having the time of his life on vacation. And then Ron Baker's just fucking weird. Like <laughs> we've been saying like, this forever, man. He's got yeah, something else going on. Like everyone wants to wants to talk about like Cantor being a tryhard. Like at least Cantor is like somewhat good at basketball. Like Ron Baker stinks and is weird. Like that's it's a really nasty one-two combination. Is Ron Baker? Does he have any chance of being good? No. No. JP, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean we we've talked about this a little bit and and on Twitter. I mean, look, I mean this is. I'm probably the only person that's ever made multiple highlight videos of Ron Baker. So yeah, God bless you. Trust me, I understand the little things that he does, and they shouldn't be discounted completely. To have a guy, um, you know, I've compared him before to, to you know, where the, the Stanley Cup is, is going on too. So it's sort of like that fourth-line hockey player, right? He comes in, he only plays a few minutes, a few shifts, but he gives you energy, um, you know, might hit a guy against the boards, whatever. To me, that's Ron Baker, right? Like you throw him in for a shift here and there when you need to get the guys going. But he's not someone, you know, I've seen different people writing, you know, articles or analyzing it in terms of, you know, how does he fit, you know, among the point cards? And, and I'm kind of like, how does he fit among the point cards? He, he's not a point guard. Like he yep. can't handle the ball. Like <laughs> the only reason he ever did that for the Knicks is because they literally had no other options. And... He was the, you know, he was the person that filled that void. But I think now with who they have on the roster, um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for him to play much minutes at all when he's the lead ball handler. And then off the ball, certain situations, that's fine. But I think we were talking a little bit in our Slack chat today. It's like most of the minutes you could justify for Baker, I would just give to Dotson because I think he mm -hmm. brings that same energy he can do similar things on defense in terms of matchups and his size, and he's obviously just a better overall basketball player. Well, even in college with Baker, he didn't play point guard because he was at college with Van Vliet. Van Vliet was their point guard. Baker averaged, you know, three assists at Wichita State, which for college is a little more than it would be in the NBA. But he wasn't even a lead ball handler in college, so to assume that he would achieve that sort of level in the NBA is just ludicrous. Can I give you guys one guess each as to why... That um, they might be saying that Ron Baker fits into a point guard situation. Uh, I can't quite put my finger on it. Can you enlighten us, please? Uh, you know, I'm, I don't know if I can quite put this a, a different way. I'm trying to think. Um, he's white. Okay, uh, I think that's okay, what it is. Yeah, he, right, he's, he's, white. Right, yeah. he, he's, he's white, and his name is Ron Baker. It's the most clean-cut, like, white guy, American name you could think of. That's it. He plays in the backcourt, and he's a white guy, and then they just suddenly think, well, how, how is he going to play into a ball handler position? He's not. That's not his game. It's, it's asinine to say so. Like, off-ball defensive situations is, you know, about all that you could hope for with him. That's it. Like, in little, like JB said, little, little bunches, little stretches, that's fine. But even then, 
you probably want to go Dotson, somebody who's already a better basketball player and also possesses a higher ceiling. It just it's really silly. I can't I can't do it anymore. I can't even pretend to entertain this Ryan Baker shit. Yeah, and one thing too with Dotson is we were talking before with the social media stuff. Dotson is one guy that I take what he's posting is real because pretty much everything you've seen from him or, or dating back to college, uh, you know, you hear coaches talk about him. He has always been a really hardworking player. Um, so, you know, again, I think the, the difference in their ability is what makes people view it differently. But like when Ron, you know, it's like anything. If you go out and you don't have a lot of athletic ability, you're going to be hustling and try to make a contribution in other ways. And that's what Ron Baker does. So it appears maybe that he's working harder than other players. But I think Dotson is working just as hard, if not harder, but he just might get to his spot a little bit quicker. So it doesn't look like he has to, you know, run with his hair flying around and you're thinking, oh, wow, look at that energy. It's like, well, yeah, because he's just doing that maybe one step faster. Somebody once said, um, I'm trying to remember the quote correctly. Maybe you guys remember it. Um, Never confuse. I think it's activity with effort. Yeah. Or vice versa. And I think that's really applicable to Rod Baker. Like, yeah, like he's trying hard because he has to. Like he's not he's not trying like JB saying, he's not maybe trying harder. Like he has to try that hard to be able to actually compete and stay on the floor and do anything at the NBA level. Like it doesn't mean he's working harder. It just means like his body physically has to work at like its its peak level any five minute stretch that he gets. Let's bring this back even to when you when we're thinking about the offense here and what the Knicks want to achieve. They need more three-point shooting. They needed it last year. And besides Tim Hardaway Jr., when KP was healthy, he still wasn't shooting enough threes. They didn't have enough. And when we're talking about Ron Baker, he's a career 28% three-point shooter. Dawson was not great last year. He was 32, but he was... You know, he was 35-36 on catch-and-shoot threes, which is the type of role that you're going to put him in anyways. Baker, last year, he played in limited minutes, obviously, but he was 27% on catch-and-shoot threes. That's not going to get it done. You need guys that are going to be off the ball that Neil Aquina and Burke and Moutier can rely on to get corner threes, to get to these spots where they can be open. If Baker's not providing that, then his defense, however good it might be in certain scenarios— is a moot point. It doesn't matter. If he starts to hit threes, then this is a different conversation we're having. But he's not a good shooter, and he has never been a good shooter. So there's no reason for us to think that he can get to that next level. We have reason to believe that Dotson can get there because he was a 40% three-point shooter in college. And he's a way better guy to have playing off the ball. As we mentioned, Baker is not a point guard, and the Knicks shouldn't ask him to be that type of player because they have enough guys there that need to learn at that position as it is. Well, I was going to say, maybe last thing on, on this, but, yeah, you know, Ron Baker, even if you love Ron Baker, I think you can understand that he kind of is what he is. You know, like, th- this is the player that he is. But a, a Dotson is a little bit different. I, I think you can understand that even if you believe Baker's a better player present day than Dotson is, I think you could probably, if you're being objective about it, admit that there may be neck and neck, but Dotson surely has the better ceiling. He's more athletic. He shoots better. Like those are things right off the bat that would make you a more successful NBA player. But, you know, going forward, you know, all we're looking for next season is basically what is Fizdale going to do and his staff going to do to develop these, this sort of stable of young guys 
um, to kind of groom them for when KP go, comes back? Can he get any of these guys to take strides? Like, Ron Baker isn't going to suddenly become a 35 or 36% three-point shooter. He isn't suddenly going to be more athletic and faster. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I actually like him. Like, he's, he's fucking weird, but I like him. You know, I, I yeah. like him. But Dotson is a guy who, like JB said, should be getting those minutes. You have a guy who can actually develop into a legit NBA-level three-point threat, then you should probably develop that guy, especially when your team is devoid of that. So, yep. You know, that, that's all I, I really think this, co- this comes down to. Where does he fit in the backcourt is, is he doesn't. Even in a lost season, he doesn't. There's not a lot of player development to be had there. So whether or not you like Ron Baker, that's fine. But this is a, a team that's developed, and, and Fisdale's staff, is that's their strength is player development. So all those high-ceiling guys or those younger guys, even like a Moutier who stinks, but you're holding out hope he could turn it around. Like, that's, that's the focus, or that's what should be the focus this year. It's not on making Ron Baker a passable NBA player. That's just not in the cards. Yeah, Yeah, and I think, just I guess to add my last point, maybe this will lead into our next uh, topic, Matt, is, you know, I I always like to sort of compare uh, different sports because I think it helps us think about it differently. And I think with Ron Baker, if you think about a baseball team and, you, you know, you call this season, it's like a marathon. You have 162 games and all these innings to fill. And you have a pitching staff that you build, realizing you have your rotation, you have your regular back of the bullpen guys, and then you have your middle relievers, right? Who they're not meant to be there to be the guys that create you into a winning team, but they are there to serve a certain role. And I think, you know, with Baker, everything we said is true, but we also can't lose sight of the fact of it doesn't mean he has no value because he could be a player in practice that plays a certain way that creates a certain intensity that you don't get from other players who are the ninth or 10th guy on the bench. He could be a player that, again, he has certain situations come up through the year where he has to play a couple games. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe there's a unique matchup that for whatever reason that night, it makes sense to play him. And all those things are valuable during an 82 game season where you have every single night, 48 minutes to fill. So I think the point we're all saying is he shouldn't be someone that we're saying is in the regular rotation or one of your closers in the back of the bullpen. But it it doesn't mean he can't have a role as sort of like that middle reliever type guy. And I think that's where he will fit. And where I'm saying it leads to our maybe our next topic, Matt, is, you know, with with the assistant coach hires, I think that's something that's going to be interesting to watch this year is the practices because – um, we've heard a lot from a personality standpoint about David Fisdale, how the players all like him, but that's easy to confuse with meaning, okay, he's going to be soft on the players. I think with the hiring of, uh, Royal Ivy, one of the, the, the reasons maybe you have a guy like that on your staff is because he can still, he's still in shape. He can still go out and, and play with the guys and kind of push them in practice. And I'm thinking, you know, with with Ron Baker, with Dotson again, there's certain players on the team that I like who I think just in practices the stuff we won't probably see, but can kind of push that intensity. So when you're, you know, you don't practice a lot, obviously, during the season, but when you're talking about summer league and training camp and you're and you do have a young team where you try to sneak a practice in here at least those guys can kind of bring like a different level of intensity, which I, I think for a young team adds some value. Yeah, so the Knicks have 
basically, I don't know if they have any more hires left to make with the coaching staff, but from Royal Ivy to Pat Sullivan, who they just announced today, Keith Smart, who we know is going to be the lead assistant, and then we have Jed Bushler. They've really started to solidify the coaching staff under Fisdale. And I wonder, it's something probably they probably wanted to get under their belt before the draft comes around, just to really feel like they can solidify. Uh, JB, is there anything special about these coaches that you think is important for us to know that you've kind of come across in your research here? You know, I think with Keith Smart, you're, uh, you know, just looking at his background, I mean, obviously he's been in the league for a long time, but I think the other thing that stood out to me was, you know, unfortunately for him, but he went through some uh, tough personal um, challenges recently, battling cancer and, and recovering from that. But to, I guess, look at that as a positive, and I'm, I'm usually an optimistic person to try to try to turn things that way, but I just think it, it's a, another character person, right? So a person who you have young guys like Frank who, you know, these guys are 19, 20 years old, and they're in New York City playing for the Knicks, and a lot of times, and we've heard Frank talk about this in interviews, a lot of times it's more than just basketball. It's just having mature adults around them who can you know talk to them and teach them in other ways off the court and i know steve mills and scott perry have talked about that a lot and to me with keith smart it's just you know reading back about what he went through and the way he fought and recovered and, and came back to coaching um i i just think you're bringing in a high character person just forget the x's and o's but just people that hopefully these young guys can look up to and when they're facing obstacles that are much smaller in comparison on the basketball court or maybe even some things off the court, um, they can go to these guys and, and, you know, Fisdale too, that can help them develop just more than how do I, you know, make a jump shot? How do I, you know, uh, complete a screen, something like that. So, yeah, I like that a lot about Keith Martin and already with Royal Ivy, like I said, I like the idea of having someone on the staff who can still, not just draw it up, but actually run it up, right? He can go out there and actually push the players a little bit, and he is known to be that type of player when he played. And I, I'm sure he won't be afraid to, you know, get in guys' faces when he needs to. So um, for those two, that's why I like. I don't know as much about Pat Sullivan, but, you know, obviously he has a uh, a decent background. Um, yeah, he's been around forever. He's coached, yeah, I think, so, on like four or five different teams for the last right, 10 or 12 right, years. Right, but I, I don't know as much particularly about him, but but that's what I like about the other two guys. I think it's cool to have a guy like Royal Ivy that played in the league fairly recently, too. I think players respect that a lot from an assistant. I think that means something to them, to have a guy like Ivy that was you know, a tough defender. You know, He was never a great player by any means, but to have that mentality of going through the league, being there, playing guard on teams that were pretty good, uh, I, I think that matters. And I don't think it can be understated how important that is for these young guys. So beyond that, Let's talk briefly about the draft because Trey Young was the big story today doing his workout with the Knicks. Uh, JB tweeted out a scarring video. If you guys <laughs> haven't say, seen it, don't watch it. Should I, should uh, I, I was going to say, I don't think... Publicly apologizing for you that, need to, yeah, you need to apologize. I was going to say, I don't think uh, him working out was actually the main <laughs> story today. I think it was that godforsaken video that JB decided to just torch our retinas with. He got ratioed <laughs> on the tweet, too. It was hysterical. When I yeah, opened it up, it was, it. it was 20 replies. I think it was one retweet, five likes. <laughs> when was that from? Was that recent? I don't know exactly when it's from. I put out the link under the original uh, tweet where where I had seen it because um, 
I don't know where I don't know where it was from because it was some fan Trey Young fan account I think is where it originated from. But then Trey Young and and I guess his girlfriend now had commented on it, so that's when I knew it was legit. But um, yeah, I I don't I'm just gonna leave that. It's hysterical. It, honestly, though, if you haven't watched it, go watch it because when I first clicked on it, I just saw the first part where he kind of like puts the hat on or whatever. And I didn't get all the way through until I came back around to it. And he takes his shirt up at the end. And I was like, oh man, that was really just the icing on the cake. <laughs> well, the the thing that I find entertaining is just reading the, the mentions. And yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like, there are legit people who are like, this is it. You cannot draft this man now. Like, we <laughs> I are, Kyle and, was and one of those people. Kyle said, we don't it, want and this And it guy. got over to Bulls Twitter too, because obviously they're, you know, maybe a little better position to draft him. And yeah. I just saw so many people that are like, <laughs> nope, we will not draft him now. This is out of the question. Kyle, I'm curious. Can you describe in detail how, uh, how that video made you feel? Angry. Uh, I was physically angry. <laughs> like my body... My body. Here I am at work. I'm just trying to push some invoices. Just my mundane accounting work, and um, you know, peruse Twitter for a second, just hoping to ease my mind off of this slow, miserable Tuesday. And lo and behold, I see a 19-year-old in male pattern baldness turning his hat backwards <laughs> and licking his lips, and I'm told that that might be the future of the Knicks. And I will say this. I will say this, while it makes me physically ill in the present, uh, it seems as though all great players were disgustingly corny at this point in their life. So maybe there's a correlation that's worth looking into because Steph and Clay and Draymond, uh, Kevin Durant's infamous MySpace, um, the list goes on and on, but these guys were just bona fide dweebs when they were younger. So... In the present, it doesn't it doesn't help me feel better now because uh, I actually wanted to throw up when I watched that. But um, maybe maybe the silver lining is he has to be a dweeb now to be a superstar later. Get out of the system. Could you imagine something like that in New York? Like the big thing with KP when he was drafted was that video of him singing "Riding Dirty" and people were like, "Oh yes, this is what we've been looking for." And then this is what we get with Trey Young. I'll oh, just be. Hysterical. So Kyle and I have given some thoughts on Trey Young. Um, we had Seth from Crimson Cream Machine on to talk about him a couple weeks ago. JB, what do you think about Trey Young and whatever um, draft research you've done? Yeah, I mean, like I've said, you know, many times, I'm definitely no expert in in these guys, so I'm given a pretty uneducated guess. I mean, to me, he he is one of the more difficult ones to figure out because there's not, you know, like you look at say a Michael Porter Jr. and it's you can. I think have a strong opinion about how he's going to recover from, um, you know, having the back injury in the past and what his upside is. And, you know, I can see why there's two different camps where, you know, with Trey Young, it's like, I don't know. Like I said, I, it's just hard for me because I think it's, I think it's easy when a guy he's remember he started the college season the way he did. And I think they're just, Generally, when a guy starts popular and they're on ESPN all the time and they're kind of like the next one or compared to Steph Curry, there's usually like this backlash, right? Where now everyone wants to find what's wrong with him. And for me, not watching him very closely since I'm, you know, breaking down Ennis Cantor's pick and roll defense in games that don't matter. Um, 
So graciously. So gracious. We're all so gracious. <laughs> I just don't know enough to tell you, like, yeah, like this is what is really missing in his game versus this is what, you know, I think is legit in his game to separate that out from all the noise because there's just so much noise with him. So I guess I'm just saying I really don't know with him. I'm I'm uh I'm like everyone else, just wait waiting to see. Or I guess I'm not like everyone else, where I I don't have a strong opinion. I don't have a hot take one way or the other. Um, I just don't know with him to get to tell you. So just briefly, if you had a choice for the Knicks right now, who would it be? Well, you know, take into account where they are in the draft, right? Where you're number nine. And let's just say, you know, we don't trade up or trade down. And I do say we, cause I'm a Knicks fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mikel Bridges makes the most sense. I mean, he fits in many ways to what they're looking for. And I like the idea that he's a little more of a mature uh, prospect. Um, it's funny because I know the word rebuild is a, is a touchy subject. And we actually just did a recent piece about that at the next wall. Um, we need to clackety clack uh, sound effect. But, <laughs> you know, to me, the Knicks rebuild comes down to they are not going to sacrifice the current assets they have, meaning draft picks, young players, to try to improve a small amount. So, meaning they're not going to trade a draft pick to get a guy who's not an obvious franchise-changing superstar. They're going to hold on to what they have. But I don't think rebuild means they are looking to do, say, what the Sixers did or spend a really long time getting good. I think the Knicks see themselves being good in a couple years and that's why they keep pointing to next summer's free agency or the summer after that so in my mind for them a guy like Mikel Bridges where again you're still utilizing the draft pick you have so you're not you know trading it to try to um, speed up your rebuild but you're at least getting a a more mature prospect I think I just have a feeling that's kind of the, the thought process they might have yeah, I I tend to agree with you though because I feel like Bridges is a safer pick. Like a wing would be a safer pick than like a young, you know. It's true. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's the other side of it too. And then you know, again, the things that we've talked about where they want guys who um, can defend and and can uh, play against multiple positions. And you know, sometimes I think we spend too much time thinking about how do we draft a player that fits all of the current rage of what the NBA is today when that player probably won't be a major contributor for your team for another three to five years when there will be a new Warriors and a new wave and we'll be saying, now we got to be like them. So I don't I don't always buy into that idea. I think you know a good front office is able to see a little bit ahead in terms of not just what's the trend now, but what is it? And I know that's obviously the hardest thing to do. What is it going to be? But not just what it's going to be, but just, you know, thinking a little more than just I want a guy who I like this guy because this is how, you know, the good teams play right now. You know, thinking a little bit beyond that. Mm-hmm. And to me, um, with Bridges, I think he fits sort of both of those ideas where I think you can use he's useful, but not just because he's, say, a stretch four or like some of the buzzwords of today where I, I sometimes get annoyed that people fall in love with a player more because they fit that 
then they just are a good basketball player that can do a lot of different things. And therefore, as the league evolves, you can ask them to do whatever the league evolves into. Absolutely. Now, you spoke briefly about the Knicks summer. So let's also, uh, let's dive into that just for a second. Is there anything that you just hope they do or do not do this summer? Because the, you know, this decision that's going to happen is Ennis Cantor. We've all been assuming that he's going to opt in. Ron Baker has already opted in for about four and a half million. So Cantor is going to be the, the last block to fall here. Do you have a wish list for the summer at all? Or is there anything you hope they don't do? What's kind of your thought process going into that? Cantor to me is the most fascinating story because first of all, the idea that him opting in is anything but the most extraordinary story you could have of this summer. I mean, it's baffling. I think we've seen what it's seven of eight players and all of them making less than Cantor have opted, opted, opted in so in. far. Yep. He's making eighteen and a half million dollars, and as we we're just saying, where, where the league is, well, he's not a guy like this is for next year. So for next year, you do have to pay attention how he fits in the league. I just I cannot imagine that he would opt out because he's obviously not going to get anywhere near that. So so that's one thing. But let's just say for a second he did opt out. What I think is funny is that I'm not sure if that's actually good or bad because. Yeah. Yep. He has so much salary, and it is just for that one year, and the Knicks aren't looking to spend that money this summer, that you could argue, hey, if he if he opts in and we get halfway through the year and we, we do want to add somebody, um, that's a lot of salary filler that you're basically – that's how you make a, a trade for basically without giving up anything because you can attach you know, assets that don't make a lot. Like you could say, for instance, a Trey Burke you could use him um, as a trade piece, but you couldn't if you don't have a salary like Cantor to attach to it to bring in another bigger piece. And of course, I'm, you know, I'm talking about going after, you know, really big fish. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what they could do, but I'm just saying it gives them options. Um, so, you know, I guess that doesn't really answer your question in terms of what I look forward to the most but mm-hmm. it, it's just I think the most fascinating story to watch what happens with him and how the Knicks how that shows what the Knicks value even in terms of how they react to what Cantor does um how much they value having that expiring contract the two I mean things, oh no go ahead the two things that are in my mind as I'm thinking about the summer and it's something that uh JB you've mentioned quite often I just don't want them to stretch Joe Kim Noah and I don't want them to end up doing any sort of trade that's going to put any more salary on the books for any more time, which I don't think they're going to do. The Noah thing, it makes no sense to stretch it. It just it has never made any sense, and I don't understand why anyone would be in favor of it, because the Knicks shouldn't be spending their money. They shouldn't be in a position to spend their money unless there's some super attractive young asset that they could get that just wants to come to New York for a great deal, which is not going to happen. It's a pipe dream. Yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's just an extremely short-sighted approach to make a problem go away quickly. That's yeah. it. it with, with no look at the repercussions. And it's it's something that's going to yeah, so- they're going to have to decide for themselves what they really want to want to do moving forward with this roster. But for now, you stick it out. They have Tim Hardaway Jr. under contract. The Cantor yeah. thing. JB mentioned already, if he opts in, it's not even the end of the world. At least he plays good minutes. He plays hard. I know he gets a lot of a lot of shit from fans for his defense. I get it. It's deserved. But he had a great year last year in terms of him. We've talked a lot on this program about 
is he actually useful or not in what he does in today's NBA. But you never know what you could get. I don't really mind if he opts in or out, and I think JB brings up a great point with that. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't understand what the big deal is about him opting in. Like, I understand that, like you just said, that he gets a lot of shit from fans, but this is sort of, to me, like the Michael Beasley thing last year. You know, like, Beasley, to me, was like, look, we know it's not going to be a great year. It's a rebuilding year, but we got some comedic relief. And that's sort of the way I look at it with cancer, except the little wrinkle here is, you know, to the point about his his salary and it being an expiring contract is, well, there's sort of a pro. Like, we get some entertainment during the year. We actually get a player with some kind of talent to watch, not just a bunch of developing guys aimlessly trying to figure out their, their games and paths in the NBA, but we actually get to watch somebody who's good at basketball, at least on the offensive end. So, like, that – that to me is a plus. Like no matter what you think about him and his personality or him being a tryhard, like we can only watch so many minutes of like Emmanuel Moutier, you know, being the focal point of an offense or something like that. Like before our eyes are going to start to bleed out. Like, so for me, that, that was one thing I was like, yeah, maybe you don't like cancer, but he, he's clearly going to be the best player on the team next year. So he should be, you know what I mean? So on top of that, you know, he's an expiring, you know, maybe you can, Turn that it, it at least if you don't use him in a deal, you at least have the option. Mm-hmm. That's at least that's at least an avenue you can explore. Yeah. You can make some that, calls. What, you could try. You're just giving yourself a chance to just kind of extend any value he he may have, or else he walks and then nothing happens. Right, and I, and I guess that's what maybe too. I wanted to you know I I've thrown Trey Burke before, and I and I'm not saying that's a player the Knicks should look to trade. I guess I'm just saying exactly what you just said, Kyle of. If you're a general manager, you look at these players as assets. And once Cantor, uh, if Cantor somehow opted out, the asset he gives you is cap space for next year. But since they're not going to use that, I, I think there is a lot to say. You have more of an asset by having him playing minutes and him in you know what he provides. Again, we know his limitations. But in really in him being that expiring contract that you at least have I just like the idea better of using an expiring contract in a trade than using any cap space you get from him opting out this summer. Exactly. Exactly. So we mentioned Beasley real quick. Do you, is there should they bring him back next year? Is he a guy you want? No. We had a good article by a new writer, um, Kevin Gamgore, talk about if they should yeah. look to bring back Bees. Should they let him walk? I, I don't. I would say yes, only because I think he played. I don't think he had like a career year or anything. I just think he showed he could be a valuable role player. Uh, he got he had pretty uh, a bit a pretty big role this season, all things considered. And I think he showed he can kind of hang around. And I, I feel like we wouldn't bring him back after that for a one year deal. If we did it, it would probably be like a two or three year deal. So if it was like a one year deal, like yeah, I mean the same thing with Cantor. Like it's a lost year. I really would not mind the comedic relief or watching somebody who's a little bit, you know, fun on the offensive end. But I have, like, this hunch that he's not signing on for a one-year deal anywhere. What does that say about the Knicks right now? And I don't think Kyle's wrong. I think that's how all of us feel, that we're like, yeah, just bring that guy back because it'll be funny. And we need something like that. (laughs) I mean, this is is one of those laugh-to-keep-from-crying things. You're absolutely right. And I I don't want to, like, present that as though, like, I'm shitting on the – the Knicks or the current state of the Knicks. I, I just think of it like this isn't like 
2009-2010 mix where we had like Al Harrington running around trying to get buckets, you know, and it was just a bloated contract team. You know what I mean? We're like in the middle of rebuild. This is different. This is we cleaned house. There's a bunch of young guys. We were looking to get going with KP, and he just tragically went down. We're we're all just kind of biding our time till KP gets back. We know what the future is. We know what the plan is. It's built around KP. So with that in mind, it's just like, yeah, fuck it. Why not give me one more year, Michael Beasley? Yeah, I don't give a, like, yeah, like, I don't give a shit. Well, I mean, what happens? We sign Michael Beasley and Cantor, or we don't have Michael Beasley and Cantor, and they win what two less games? You yeah. know what I mean? So, it, it's it, it's not. We're splitting hairs here. Let's make it fun at least. So I guess before we have to run, then the big question we didn't get to to close out this idea is with KP. What are your guys' thoughts in terms of um, offering him an extension this summer? Because obviously, you know, the ball is in the Knicks' court, right? They don't have to offer him anything. And I think before he was injured, um, when he could qualify for the higher 30% salary uh, through the designated extension, the thought was, well, the Knicks were in a position where maybe they did have to offer him something because if they wanted to keep him, make sure they keep him, that was the best way of, of doing so. But now that he's going to be injured all the next year, um, so he can't qualify for that higher amount. So what they offered him this summer would be no different than next summer. It just would be they would lock him in sooner. Mm. And obviously they gain cap space if they if they wait. So the Knicks have a better interest of waiting. What, how important do you guys think it is to just get him locked in and say, you know, I don't care about any of the cap implications of saving 10 million here, this, that, this is, you know, our franchise guy going forward. We just need to lock him in house and throw away the keys. Um, What do you guys think about that decision? I I think it's almost better to try to pounce early and try to pounce on the fear of, Hey man, you're a seven, three behemoth gangly, you know, center. We want you here long term, but you know, with, with your body size, with your frame, and you just had, you know, maybe the most significant injury you could have in basketball, I, I just feel like, you know, the, the Knicks kind of have all the leverage here. It's like, look, man, we want to keep you here long term, but look at what we're looking at, too. And I almost feel like it's not the same, but almost like that Steph Curry ankle contract that kind of got the ball rolling and all this good luck for the Warriors. It was like, look, man, we want you here, but... You can't stay healthy. Your ankle's busted. We want you here. We'll sign you for you know a, a, a good deal, but you're going to have to take a little bit of a discount. And Steph did, and you know the rest is history. Not to say it's going to go that way for the Knicks, but I feel like you have the leverage to do something like that right now. So maybe it behooves them to wait a little bit longer, you know, because you know about the cap implications or whatnot. But I feel like you can try to pounce a little bit now while things are still a little tender for him, and just try to get him, you know, try to nudge him into that. Like, look, man, we're still going to give you a long deal, a guarantee, but who's to say what you're going to be like when you come back? So cut us a little bit of a break. So let me present the counterpoint, and then JB can close us out by giving his thoughts on it. KP is the type of player that you, especially for the Knicks that have struggled so long to lock in this kind of guy, you give him whatever he wants. You put the thing on the table, you say, we're going to do whatever it takes to keep you here. My only concern, I guess, in the short term, and we've mentioned about KP's uh, struggles with the team, his very public skipping of the exit interview, 
I wonder if the Knicks and KP are in the best place right now. And he's expressed a lot of support for Fizdale. He's talked about some guys, which it took longer than it should have. And we were all getting really nervous about how long it was going to take. But I wonder if they wait a year, let KP see what's going on, let him see Fizdale coach, and then come back at the end. And then next year say, hey, listen, this is when it's going to happen. Or if they didn't offer it this year, he might take that as a slight. I think it's really important for Mills and Perry just to be as upfront and as candid with this as possible. So they should just do whatever Porzingis wants to do. You did just do it. It's how I feel with Odell Beckham and the Giants. He's so good. You cannot paint a scenario where you let him leave your team or get disgruntled. You cannot let it happen. And I that- absolutely... And I was gonna say I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I just I just feel like if there was ever a time where they could negotiate, this would be the time. Like if you wait next year and he's healthy, there's no negotiations because his whole camp's just gonna go. Well, I think he's he'd healthy. find it insulting if the Knicks said, "Hey, listen, you're injured. We want you to take a little less." I think he'd find that insulting, and I don't think the Knicks can even entertain that possibility. Even, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I guess my thought is this: I would. Tr- like you said about being honest with them. So I guess I would try to approach him by saying, look, you, even if you sign an extension right now, remember that money doesn't start until after the next, the fourth year of his rookie contract. So it's not like when, if he signs the extension today, he doesn't see the extra money until the, not this year coming up, but the next year. Now, normally a player wants to lock in that extension uh, with that one season left at a concern of it's a risk, right? Like they could get injured and then they didn't sign the extension and therefore they missed out on their chance. Well, he's already injured, right? And and we've heard talk about, well, does he even play at all next year? So maybe the, the approach you can take with them is to say, look, we want you here long-term and we also want to win. And we think you want both things too. So because of that, we the way the cap works, we would save money by waiting to sign you until next year. You're not getting any less money. You're just getting uh, the contract signed at a different time. And because you're already missing so much of the season, it shouldn't be as big of a risk to you that your market value changes because of the fact you're not signing it now versus if you signed it, you know, a, a year from now. Obviously, if he comes back early and plays, we don't said September they'll reevaluate maybe that does change but if he does miss a big portion of next season he doesn't have to worry about that so I guess I'd be hopeful they could have that sort of honest and open conversation of we want to give you the money you're not really losing anything by not signing it now because you can't touch that money yet anyways so give us that extra cap flexibility so we can chase another player to help you win and then everyone's happy that said you know, KP could say, screw that. I still want the guarantee. Yeah. And then, you know, I think at that point, if you're the Knicks, you you probably have to do it. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that's how I would try to approach it. They just have to be so, so delicate with how they handle a situation like this. With the Porzingis, who's been someone that's expressed some issues. And he's not someone they should just assume will want to do what's best for the team right away. They need to prove to him that they're doing something right. And they need to be careful when they chat. They need to make sure they say the exact right thing. 
you can easily offend in these scenarios, even by accident. Even if you make an insinuation, an offhanded comment, it could come off as bad. So they need to be very careful and just an open conversation is all we can hope for. That Mills and Perry are able to sit down with them and say, hey, listen, here's our outlook. You're our guy. We're going to give you exactly what you want. But work with us a little bit here so we can plan this out the best and make it happen. Time will tell. We shall see. So, JB, anything else coming up soon over at KnicksFilmSchool.com, which has been awesome so far? Uh, just going to be covering more prospects and more summer stuff from the players? Yeah, exactly. And like people have probably seen, uh, you know, we have the newsletter out now. So uh, if you go to my profile, you can subscribe to that and, and get all your news summed up in one day, uh, one email, I should say. Um, so other than that, you know, I'm always, you guys know, always working on stuff in the background. So there'll always be new things coming out. But appreciate everyone who's already signed up for the newsletter. And hopefully I can get into doing uh, some more of these podcasts and, and start reaching people in different ways. But yeah. Um, had fun being on with you guys tonight. Of course. And, of course, over at thenixwall.com, we got a lot of new writers that have put us some great stuff recently. We got Harley Geffner, who's an older guy, talking about Colin Sexton. We got Jack Huntley talking about some of the prospects. Eli Cohen wrote his first piece about uh, rebuilding in New York, which JB mentioned briefly earlier. So we got some great content over there. More to come. Draft in a couple weeks, which is super, super exciting. One of my favorite times of the year, and the draft is one of my favorite events of the year. So keep an eye out. Kyle, anything else to plug? Yeah, uh, last thing. we I spoke with a couple of people who were a little bit concerned with our pricing for merchandise. I just want to let you guys know, while we don't have a long-term solution at the moment, we do have a couple of sales coming up in June, so mark your calendars. Um, the first one's coming up this weekend, actually. It's going to be June 9th and 10th, so that's this Saturday and Sunday. So um, T-shirts are going to be $14. Hoodies are going to be 35 and, uh, I mean, it's basically the 30% off sale. So you guys know the deal. Um, we'll be tweeting that out. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, we have you guys in mind. We're trying to get those sales out, make things a little bit easier on your wallets there. The second sale is going to be June 20th through June 24th. So that's uh, a Wednesday through the Sunday. Um, so be on the lookout for that. You know, we have just a ton of good designs that Bailey's made for us over the last year. So, um just load up for the summer. Load up for the draft. We have a lot of stuff. We got some Fizdale merchandise, and I'm sure um, after the draft, we're going to have some better things coming from that as well. Um, that's basically it, I think. All right. Awesome. So, Jeff, Nick's Film School. Kyle, guys, thanks for hopping on. We'll talk to you later. All right, buddy. All right, Take it easy. Guys.